Hi, it's Dan here for Dusty Discs Radio. This is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. And today I'm very honored to have as my guest singer-songwriter Cindy Church. Cindy's well-known for her time uh, in quartet as well as a solo artist and as a member of the esteemed group Lunch at Allen's. We'll be talking about music and travels and the business side of music and the life of a career entertainer. And we'll get some other insights as well into touring and writing and recording and, and much more as we get into our discussion. So thanks for joining me today, Cindy. How are you? I am great, Dan. And how are you? Good. I'm doing fine. I was just saying my power went off and it just came back on. So we just, we just got back on online here and I hooked everything up and we're good to go. So we are good to go. No, that's great. So, so do you just describe yourself as a singer songwriter? I, I know you play some instruments. I saw you play guitar and you played some percussion. I describe myself as a singer who has had to learn how to write songs. Um, and I, for which I'm grateful, but I, when I think of myself, I foremost, I think of myself as a singer. Yeah. Okay. And you play, obviously you play around with the instruments and you, you, you played guitar. Like I saw your, I was at your show, your lunch at Allen's show a few weeks ago in Chilliwack and you played some guitar there yep. and some percussion as well. Yeah. Yeah. I do play guitar and, uh, and a little bit of percussion and a little bit of accordion, um, but mainly, mainly guitar. That's my main instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Did you play any of that on your recordings or do you just get the studio cats to, uh, to cover that? Uh, no, I play on my recordings now. I didn't used to, but I'd say for the last 15 years I have, I've played my, on my own songs. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was curious about that because it's, it is nice to get the feel that you feel you want to kind of get it on there, but then a lot of people opt for the studio guys because they're so good and they're so polished and they just kind of play it and you go, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, sometimes that works really well depending on the right, if you have the right guys. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. It's, it's been a more organic process, certainly with lunch at Allen's. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's, pretty much done the, the records are pretty much done the same way it is on stage except that we we usually have a well we always have a rhythm section yeah oh no power to you i'm i'm happy yeah, to hear that I, like I, I didn't know if you if yeah. you did play on your own records but it's great that you do so so yeah. then you're you're originally from bible hill nova scotia is that right you're a maritime girl <laughs> i am a maritime girl back living in the maritimes oh nice after many 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 years of having not yeah so it's it's I'm not yeah. a Bible Hill. I'm in a little village called River John, but yeah, it's really great. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, I was wondering about that because, you know, typically when you hear about the, the place where someone's from, you know, you think about the early stuff and the family influence, maybe the cultural influence. And, and of course, music is pervasive, right? I mean, it's pretty much everywhere and, and you just grow mm -hmm. up with that. Is that, was that your experience too? I would say so. Yeah. I grew up, um, in a somewhat musical family, my mother was really musical. Um, she was a she was a really good singer, and she used to uh, sing with a couple of. When she was a teenager, she would sing for the local radio station. They had a little trio, and um, hmm. my brother was really musical as well. And um, some some of my uh, so there'd be family who would come over on different weekends, and there was always a fiddle player and a piano player and and guitar players. Yeah. And so with all that maritime traditional music. So yeah, it's, I grew up in that, in that for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's nice. I can hear the influence, but then I listen to your voice and, and when I'm listening to your recordings and going through your catalog and you're obviously schooled. I mean, you sound very precise and your voice is really pure. So did you have some formal voice training or any of that sort of thing? <laughs> no, nope. I just, uh, I just open my mouth and hope what comes out is good. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, yeah, no yeah, training. The I asked that because- yeah, the reason I ask because your your interval structure is really really precise, and your voice is super pure. Your vibrato, like every, everything about your voice, is sounds very controlled and very trained to me. Well, I well, thank you. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah, I I don't know. It, it just uh, yeah, I I love to sing and. Uh, uh, you know, I've been singing since I was a little kid, not professionally, but my brother and I, uh, we just always sang together. And if he was singing lead, I would sing harmony. It was just instinctive. And yep. uh, I, I think part of it is just having an ear mm. and um, and having done it for so long yep. in a natural way, I guess. Well, good. Well, you, I mean, some people have an affinity for it, right? You just you just pick it up and you, you have that yeah. precision. But it, it, it's the precision that I noticed that that sort of smacks of training, you know, or, or at least a, a strong affinity mm-hmm. towards getting it right. Because lots of people sing. I mean, we all know the karaoke singers and the people that, you know, grandpa whips out the fiddle and someone else plays a banjo and everybody sings along. I mean, that's one thing. But to sing with that level yeah. of precision on a recording is a whole different world, as you know. So, yeah. Well, thank you. Um, I, I enjoy it. Well, then the, the earliest reference that I could see on your, on your bio pages and then the research I did was from 1989 with the great Western orchestra. So you, you didn't do much as far as the publicly for the early bands, any early bands or early experiences. Was that really your first foray into something sort of on on a larger scale? Well, when I left Nova Scotia in 1977, and I, I moved west, like a lot of other Maritimers did at that time. And I was in Edmonton for a year, and then I moved to Vancouver Island. And I had no, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do or whatever. It was just, a, you know, being a young hippie girl out there on the island. Yeah. And um, I had a guitar from the time I was 16, and, and people would kind of coax me into singing and playing publicly at times. And then eventually... Um, I got a little bit braver and, uh, I think when I was about 25, I was asked to go on a, on a tour of, um, Northern BC with this band. And they said, you know, we want you to come you know, to sing background vocals, but you, we also want you to learn bass while you're on the road. And I said, oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I went and bought, went and bought a bass and, and an amp and off I went and, uh, that kind of got me started and so I was kind of doing some different country-ish gigs down around um, on the lower mainland and whatnot at that time and then my partner who I'd known from Vancouver Island uh, Nathan Tinkham who was a member of the Great Western Orchestra actually this would have been in about 1982 had been out working with Ian Tyson and Mm. recorded um, had played on his recording Old Corrals and Sagebush, which was Ian's first country, or Cowboy record. Okay. And so Nathan was back looking for something to do, and then we teamed up, and then we did some work as a duo, and then 
we heard that Ian was looking for to put a new band together. This would have been 1983 oh, okay. or 84. And then I, audition for Ian and so I was playing bass and, and singing with Ian for three years and then the Great Western Orchestra came about oh, okay I got you that, I was trying to I was trying to put that all together so thanks for clearing that up for me because I was trying to figure out the Ian Tyson connection yeah. and then I saw that you were from Bible Hill but you ended up in Alberta and then you were playing with Ian Tyson and <laughs> I was going, okay. I know, I can it. hardly keep track. <laughs> well, I read Ian Tyson's book, actually. He was pretty impressive. I, he's a pretty impressive guy. You know, I, I was in, yeah. intrigued. And my friend Lee Warden played with uh, Ian Tyson for a number oh, of years. Oh, yes, of course. For a long time. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know if you knew, right. if you know Lee or not. but uh, I've just met him yeah. a couple of times when he was on tour with Ian and I went to see Ian. Okay. And, uh, so yeah. he seemed like a really nice guy. Yeah. He played around Vancouver for a lot of years and, and ended up hooking up. I think he lives in Nashville now. Yeah. That's what so, I think. But he hooked up with Ian Tyson as well. Yeah. Yeah. So how, so you auditioned for Ian then you got that gig and that was, were you living in Alberta at the time in Turner Valley, I guess? Is We, when we started, we were living in Edmonton and then um, when Ian hired us and we started touring, we moved to Longview. Um, and lived okay. there for a while and then eventually, but I lived in the, in Southern Alberta for about 15 years, or, you know, in the Turner Valley, Longview area, which okay. is so beautiful. Yeah. 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 No, I just wondered where, how you ended up, I guess you migrated West and just sort of went where the, where the work was or where you felt you should land. Edmonton's obviously been a hub for music for decades. Yeah. So that was an obvious place to go. And we knew people there. So you know, we had, we had some community okay. there, so that yeah. was good too. Yeah. And then, so tell me about the great Western orchestra. What was that? How did that all come about? It was, uh, I listened to some of the songs, Cactus Swing and Wind in the Wire, and it's mostly male vocals. Well, that's and... the great Western orchestra that I was not a part of. That's a different great Western orchestra. Um, the... Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I, yeah. th oh, that's okay. Um, that That's the one with Stuart McDougall and, uh, the one I okay. was with was uh, Nathan, David Wilkie, and myself. That was the original Great Western Orchestra. And okay, uh, I got you. We, yeah, and we had an album out on um, CBS Records at the time. Yeah, and uh, it was very much Western oriented. Um, so it was uh, I played bass, Nathan played guitar, and David played mandolin, and it was just all three part harmony stuff and a lot of sons of the pioneers stuff and some yeah. original stuff we played jazz uh, just whatever we wanted to yeah. play we played and that lasted for i think about three years okay cool mm -hmm. well that's the thing when i was when i was trying to put the timeline together like like you started your solo career i guess in the early 90s right which would have been yes fairly late if, if i could say you know as far as you know once deciding okay i'm gonna now i'm gonna be cindy church i'm gonna go out and kind of do my thing and see what happens and that yeah. happened in the early 90s right yeah is when the um great western orchestra broke up we we just said well, well just let's just keep doing whatever we're doing and and uh you know maybe i'll do an album or whatever so we just kind of went from there and here i am <laughs> yeah, and where were you living at that time? Were you still still, still in Alberta? In Alberta and I stayed in Alberta um, until 1998, and then then I moved to Toronto in '98. Um, okay, our relationship ended, and well, I mean, we're still friends, but yeah. it 
that part of it ended. Yeah. And um, I was in Toronto for for a long time after that until mm. I moved back here. Okay. Yeah. And, and then, so I wanted to ask you as well, like uh, when I listened to your, your music and went through a bunch of your catalog, I, I, I'm always curious how you categorize your music, you know, and there's so many sort of labels and names and typically as musicians, we, we don't prefer those. And I know your discography says that you're vast and eclectic, but from a, a marketer's point of view, they don't want to hear vast and eclectic, right? They want to hear, you know, a genre. So I was wondering, like, is it folk? Is it country? Is it Canadiana? Is it, you know, how do you categorize it? Well, certainly in all the years when I, you know, was getting radio airplay and whatnot, I was considered a country singer. Yeah. Um, and so everything was under that umbrella, and which is, you know, suited me fine. And, um, and I guess I think of myself as a rootsy, you know, um, I guess it would be Canadiana is the same as the Americana genre, but, but definitely folk country. And then, you know, I also sing jazz songs and whatever. So again, it, it comes down yeah. for myself as just being a singer. And if, if a sing, if a song calls to me or something, and I, and I think I can put my own personal spin on it, I'll try it. And, uh, yeah. I'm, I don't think of myself as a jazz singer. I think of a, a singer who's singing a jazz song, um, yeah. if you know what I mean. Well, yeah. it's a fair point. It's a fair point because from a musician's perspective, you go, I like this song. I'm going to put my spin on it and I'm going to sing it. And that's really the long and the short yeah. of it, right? For for other people, it's like, well, I need to market this. And so what is Acadian music too? Because you're from the Maritimes, right? Like, like I've never understood that term, but I, I assume it's some Celtic-influenced uh, French-Canadian music. What is Acadian music? Uh, it would be Acadian. It would be French. Yeah. Like French, um, yeah, Acadian music, French. Did you sing any yeah. of that? I don't really you... know much about it. No. No. No, no. I, I grew up mostly singing country music. and the Celtic, Celtic? I didn't sing any Celtic stuff, but if, if there was a party with the, with the elders, um, there was just a lot of um, uh, traditional music and fiddle music and, uh, you know, women step dancing, you know. And, uh, but as a, yeah. but, but I, yeah. yeah, country music was my, what I listened to most. But being on the East Coast, you wouldn't be able to avoid that. Even even from me being raised in, born and raised in Guelph, you know, my my grandpa was an old time fiddler, and he'd stomp the floor and play all the Celtic tunes and stuff. So you just it, it's sort of ingrained in you because you hear them so much, right? The, the melodies yeah. become very familiar. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So then you did in 1991. You did Love on the Range. That was your. Was that your first sort of solo album that says, I'm here, I'm, I'm Cindy Church, I'm going to do my thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the first album that I'd done under my name. Yeah. yeah. It so. is very country. I mean, almost sort of little Loretta Lynn is what I thought of. I thought, well, that again, the voice is right up front, really pure, really clear like really centered around your voice and your sort of take. And I sort of thought Rankin family and just – just really good. I, I mean, like like your voice comes across really strong, and it's right right front and center in the mix, right? It's like here's my voice. So, oh, thanks, well, Dan. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, I, I like that approach. 
Well, for the singer, I think it's important. You're not you're not trying to sort of bury your voice in the mix of a band, right? It's like like you're doing the the sort of no, you know. Here, I'm a singer. This is what I do. Here's my voice. Lay it out there. Just give it to people. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to be part of a texture. I mean, I, I like albums when other people do that. Yeah. But for a certain way, for, for certain things, but not for what I do. And where did you record that album and, and who produced it? I recorded it in Edmonton okay. and gosh, I can't think of the name of the studio. I'd have to look it up. Um, and my partner at the time, Nathan and um, David Hamilton, who plays a lot of the electric guitar on that album, produced it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's good production. Yeah. I, I always, I all always three of my my albums. It, yeah, it's very country. Yeah, probably the most country of the three albums. Yeah, yeah. and then because you did the song "Rockabilly Heart," and then I was thinking, okay, as soon as you hear the word "rockabilly," that's another song category, like another category, genre category, right? So that I was thinking, it's not really a rockabilly song, but "Rockabilly Heart" was it's a nice country song, beautiful again, nice harmonies. You got a double lead in spots and. The two string guitar solo is really nice. It's cool. Yeah, oh, I like it. Oh, thank you. And, thank you. And then some of the other songs, like you did "Old Fashioned Love Song." That's almost a jazz tune. That's like country jazz. Well, yeah, it, which is what Western swing is, really. I yeah. mean, when you think of Bob Wills and all those those Texas swing bands. Yeah. So there's a lot of mixing of. Yeah. Again, it was just like I like that song. I like that yeah. song. I'm just gonna record whatever songs I like. Yeah. And which ones off that album did the best for you? Like, which, which ones were the most uh, sort of well-received, let's say? Um, at that time, there's a song on there that I wrote. I think it was the second song I ever wrote called The Road to Home. Mm-hmm. And that got a lot of airplay in Canada. And Rockabilly Heart was a, a, a good single. Yeah. I think that was about it. Yeah, very, very likable, yeah. very accessible stuff. I mean, you weren't breaking sort of new ground, but you were playing stuff that that's, I don't know, it, I guess it's a bit of a rub there because some some artists always want to break new ground, but then other artists want to write stuff that sort of sounds familiar already. You hear it and you kind of like it already because it's there's a familiarity there. Yeah, I, um, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. That Rockably Heart was written by a friend of mine in Alberta. I didn't write that one. It was a good one to record. Yeah. And I think at that time too, because I had a, a record label, you you did put songs on there with the hopes of at least a few of them having some kind of access to radio. I mean, that was part of the part of the thing. I think by the time that I got to my third album, which is my favorite, it's the it's um, just self titled. It yeah, it, the nineteen ninety six. It wasn't about that. It was just yeah, it was just about doing whatever I wanted, and that was the first album where I I felt like I was in control. I picked the songs and I found the songs and uh, it's most representative. Yeah. Still my fave. Well, that's an interesting point you make because you know, the record companies, I mean, they're, they're there to sell records. Right. And so if they Mm -hmm. say, well, that we really like this song. And a friend of mine said one time, you know, he wrote a song that was a modest hit and they said, well, we like that. We want 10 more songs like that. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, that's not the way I write. I just wrote that song. People happen to like it, but you want me to write 10 more songs like that? It's sort of like uh, Wear It Well with Maggie May and Rod Stewart wrote Maggie May and it was a big hit. Yeah. And then he wrote You Wear It Well, which is basically the same song. Yeah. 
<laughs> Love them both. Same beat, same chord structure, same beat, same that everything. That's funny. I never thought of that. Well, yeah, exactly. But I mean, the, the record company probably. Yeah, I never thought of that. <laughs> Well, I just was saying about the record companies where they push you to say, hey, Cindy, we really like this. We want some more like yeah. this. And you're like, well, okay, but I do stuff I like. Yeah. I mean, we were with Holger Peterson for all those years on Stony Plain, and he never, ever put that kind of pressure on me. Oh, good. But okay. you also knew that that you it would be good to have some songs that could get some radio airplay. Yeah. But he would never, uh, he, he would never, you know, do that, yeah. thankfully. Okay. Well, listen, let me take a quick break and I want to ask you about your next two albums and uh, just add some other stuff. So we'll just take a quick break and we'll be right back. We're talking to Cindy Church. You can hear music from today's guests and other Canadian musicians from the 60s to 80s every Tuesday and Thursday on Dusty Discs Radio, including one-hit wonders, regional favorites, songs from the top and bottom of the charts, TV show theme songs, commercials, and a news clip or two from back in the day. Listen online at DustyDiscsRadio.com or download the TuneIn Radio app to your tablet or smartphone. Search Dusty Discs Radio and mark it a favorite. Now let's get back to our special guest. All right, we're back. We're talking to Cindy Church about her career, her early career, and then we talked about the first album, and uh, we're just getting into the, I guess, the mid-90s now, and you did an album called Just, uh, just a Little Rain in 1994. Mm-hmm. And I listened to some tracks off of that. And the, there's some some Dolly-type stories in there, like Dolly Parton-type stories, the mom and daughter thing and Faith in the Foothills and that, or sorry, Fall in the Foothills and, and that sort of thing. It's some some really heartfelt kind of, I don't know, reflective stuff maybe. Yeah. Gosh, it's been so long. <laughs> I, you'll have to remind me of what songs are even <laughs> on there. Uh, but it's funny you should mention Dolly Parton because she is my – all-time favorite i would just have to say all-time favorite singer of any of any kind but especially country singers but um hmm. i i yeah. just i love her yeah so I, I i forget some of the songs that are on there um well just a little rain is is really yes. nice i mean talking about the the mom mom saying there's going to be some rain sometimes you know yeah. that that's what sort of struck me about the coat of many colors kind of flavor you know like life's not going to be easy and here's a song about that. Yeah, that's a beautiful song. Shirley Eichhardt wrote that. And uh, yeah, mm, beautiful. Yeah, that's nice. And then the song Fall in the Foothills, like I could hear the Celtic influence. You've got mandolin in there. You've got, again, you're pulling from all these different things. Like there's really no no restriction. You say, okay, the mandolin, I think that sounds nice in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we flew John Reichman, who's uh, based out of Vancouver. You may know John. Uh, we flew him out for that. that I don't tour. know him personally. Um, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Beautiful player. And then the uh, trying to trying to rope the wind yeah. is great. That's a song about rodeos, a, a rodeo, of course, which is, you know, perfunctory, I suppose, in some sense for a, for a country artist to write something about being an actual cowboy. <laughs> yeah. That was written by Tim Williams. But uh, comes across really well. Yeah. It's a, it's a great song. Yeah. 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 And you just did your take on it? I just did my take. Oh, good. Well, again, good production, great singing, and, and the, the real, you captured the flavor real well. And, and it, I'm, I'm always listening for influences too. So then, and then the song, I Never Got Over You, mm-hmm. that, that was a great song. I, I really mm-hmm. liked that one. And you got the steel guitar oh. and the mandolin and the nice harmonies and just put together real well. So, well, thank you. 
So what was the strongest song off that album? Which which song did the best for you off that album? I think uh, I think I never got over you and trying to rope the wind. Yeah, yeah. I believe. And then, so that was, and then two years later, you did your your album, the self titled one, which I thought was kind of curious because usually the first album is the self titled one, and then the other ones have names on them. But your third album was the self titled. Well, it, it's an it, and it's interesting because I I felt like. Uh, that was the first album that, like I was saying earlier, where I, I got to be more involved and, and make all the, you know, most of the decisions. And, and I felt it most uh, okay. reflected who I was as an artist the most. So I think it, it was fitting. I mean, that's maybe, I'm, maybe that's yeah. why I called it that. I can't remember again. You yeah. Know, it was a while ago now. Yeah, no, good, good for you. So the album, or then the album had on it, Lover Please. I listened to that. Mm-hmm. And you got a, mm-hmm. is that a dobro or slide guitar or steel guitar? But it sounds like dobro actually to me when I listened to it. I think Nathan was playing dobro on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We had a couple of really great musicians from Nashville who came up for that. Daryl Scott and um, Kenny Malone was playing drums. And they just added so much to to that album they, they were just incredible that in the beginning of lover yeah. please when you're listening to that little ding 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 off the top that's daryl yeah. with his guitar saying to nathan put your put like put your fingers on that chord and then he took two pencils and and beat the strings and came up with that noise like it was oh. he was so innovative and it was just interesting it, it, just amazing things yeah. like that throughout that process it was really really wonderful oh cool and then you do Whispering Pines in there, which is a nice yeah. acoustic guitar ballad. So uh, Murray never bugged you about do, about Whispering Rain? <laughs> <laughs> no. <I guess> was... <laughs> no. Yeah. That's an old Johnny Horton song. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, no, that's good. And, and uh, again, sort of a, a great song to pick because it's a nice acoustic ballad. You have to have some of those, right? Every country singer has to have their, their signature kind of you know, and then uh, the song Wichita again. I listened to that. I, I, you know, it's the two four feel with the mandolin. I could hear the Celtic influence, and that. Pardon me if that wasn't what your plan was, but I certainly sounds that way to me. That's funny that you hear so much of that in my music. It never even occurs to me that that I would have any of that. So it's interesting to hear you say that. Yeah. I mean, in a good way. I just, I, I just never, never occurred to me. You know, maybe it's just in the back of your mind and it's in your musical sensibility. That's why I always ask about, about the influences when you're younger, because it, it does form part of your musical sensibility and it comes out and manifests itself in a number of ways later in life and you might not even be aware of it, but it's there. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. And then you did Sweet Dreams of You with Ian Tyson. Uh, Sweet Dreams of You I did with Billy Cowsell. He sang with me on that. Well, why did it say I saw on? That's another song I did with Ian. When I did one of Ian's songs on that album with Ian. Oh, I see. Okay. And it's, um, what does she see? I had always loved that song. And uh, I really hoped that Ian would sing with me on this album. And I, I remember saying, I really like to do that song. And he's like, oh, that song, I I'd hate that song. <laughs> and I said, well, just come over and, and, uh, and, Let's just try it. So he yeah. came over to our house and we tried it and it worked. And then he went, I, I guess that's not so bad. I, I guess I don't hate that. You know? 
Oh, but, interesting. So that was a, I'm just so happy that he did that. Yeah. So were you trying to do some collaboration? So you did a song with Billy Cowsoul. You did that song with Billy Cowsoul. Well, it's funny. I was going through that and I never saw that. I, I saw the Ian Tyson connection. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about that because of the earlier connection. And of course the later one as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nope. Billy, I got to sing with Billy. So you did a couple duets. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, and he's been gone. I guess he passed away. Is that Billy? Correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was just yeah. such a tremendous singer. Oh my God. And just a sweet guy too. Yeah. yeah. And so you, were you calling in favors or are you trying to do some collaborations just to, to sort of expand your horizons? Is that what that was mainly motivated by? Yeah. It was just people that I, yeah, I just, you know, want it. This was my album and I, I, I want it to have people on it that I loved and admired. And fortunately they said, yes, Cool. you know, Amos Garrett plays on one of the songs and uh, yeah. So it was just all, you know, people who I, I loved. Yeah. Well, nice. And Amos Garrett was, was living in in Edmonton, right? Cause, cause he did sleepwalk, right? Yeah. He did the nice guitar playing on that. And then you, uh, so then you had those albums out and then, but there's, uh, when I looked at your timeline, there was sort of a few different things going on. You had quartet, right? Mm-hmm. With, uh, with Sylvia. Yeah. And so, but that, those were intermingled. Like there's some overlap there in the timeline. Yeah. Right? We got together in 1993 and I think we put out our first album in 1994, okay. the same time as I put out my album and, uh, yeah, and quartet's still going after we got yeah. sidelined by the pandemic, but we're you know it's almost thirty years now, which is crazy. Well, I was going to ask you about that because there's still an active website, and it looks like you're still functioning, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean we don't do a lot of big tours anymore. We do a lot of um, we do a really nice Christmas show, and uh, so we tend to get together quite yeah. a bit for that. And uh, but yeah, another musical family. Well, you did a Christmas album, right? We did two. Two Christmas albums in quartet. Okay, there you go. Yeah. And then I watched the video. I think it looked like George Fox was introducing you at the CCMA Awards in 1994 doing King of the Cowboys. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think quartet won that year for vocal collaboration. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, that was, yeah, well, it sounds beautiful. I mean, it's yeah. the, having the four voices together. Yeah, and the little string quartet. And so you put out one, two, three, four, five. So it looks like six six albums here on my sheet. Three, four, five, six. Yeah, the last one was 2008. Is that right? Uh, I think it was later than that. Or I can't remember. Was it the double one? The the, the I, one that celebrated our 20 years together? Yeah, I can't remember. Do you know the no, name I, of it? Well, Dawn at the Fair, 2000. Down at the Fair, was 2008. I just had the list here and I went through. No. It, okay. There's another one after that, okay. which is a double album. We, to celebrate our 20 years together, we picked 10 songs from previous recordings and then we did a, then we recorded 10 new songs as well. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Good for you. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Well, that's neat. And I was, I was going to ask if it's still active and I, and I went on there and the website is, and, and you confirmed that it is. So that's great. Mm-hmm. And then you did um, Rankin, Church, and Crow. So in 2007, I see that you you did a thing with Raylene Rankin. And mm-hmm. I was wondering what the connection was with the, the Rankin family and maybe the influence. 
I'm a big fan of the Rankin family. I love mm-hmm. that song, The River. And, yeah. and of course, they're a real East Coast sounding band, right? So. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, that just came about. Um, Susan was offered, uh, I didn't, I had met Raylene and her sisters at different, you know, business functions, like industry functions and things like that in the past and the Juno okay. and whatnot. But we didn't know each other. And, um, Susan was offered a gig in, in Nova Scotia and asked Raylene and then asked me. And then it, again, it was just one of those things where it, it but a quartet and the Rankin Church and Crow and Lunch and Allen's to a certain extent, they, they keep going because of the chemistry and some, some projects just have a chemistry that mm. it just takes on a life of its own. And, um, uh, and that, that was one of those, but Raylene, it was wonderful to get to sing with her because she, her voice, talk about pure, uh, just an amazing singer yeah. to sing with and a sweetheart. Well, yeah. I mean, the harmonies and the, and, and the high vocals, I mean, they sing so high and they sing so well, mm-hmm. of course they're, they're a family, but, uh, I was a big fan of the band and, and their, their vocal arrangements. But w- I think with you, when I look at, through your sort of catalog and the things that you've done as I, as I tracked it, um, and especially researching for, for speaking with you, how sort of inviting you are to play with different people. I mean, some people are kind of closed, right? They have their group of people they play with and they do their albums and that's it. But you seem very open to, yeah, yeah sure. Let's try this. Let's try that. I'm, I love collaborating with people and I love being part of a team hmm. and, um, and, and everything that goes with that. And, um, so all of those situations have been, been like that. I mean, I, you have to have, um, or I have to have, um, feel like I'm on the same musical wavelength to some degree with the people I collaborate with, but yeah, um, when it works, it's wonderful. Yeah, no, that's great. And so I, I thought that was a cool connection because of the, I guess the East coast vibe, the Celtic vibe, the, the Rankin family, it seemed kind of a, a natural to me. I, when I saw that, I thought, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. I can see how that came about. Yeah, it was, it was really great. Yeah. We toured across the country a few times. It was really great. Oh, cool. So then as a solo artist, like, did you have a band or did you have just a studio band or did you have members in and out of the band? Like, how did you, how did you do that? You just take every project as it came or did you have a sort of a steady sort of stable of people that played with you? just kind of changed throughout the years i mean when uh when i was first playing on my own and i was still living in alberta and in the early 90s i would just we would hire the same band like ian's band um ian was always really great in that whenever we did you know concerts with him or anything like that the band always got featured like some we, we would go out sometimes and play for a half an hour before ian came on so that band, like we were a real band. And so um, I would oft- often hire them when I was doing gigs when I still lived in Alberta. And then when I was in Ontario, I would usually just use like me playing guitar and a, a guitar player and a bass player. Okay. And then now I just use a, a guitar player. Yeah. If I do, you know, do anything on my own just keep it very simple well that's that's cool yeah i wondered about that because some people are you know they really like the band aspect of it and other people are like you know the studio guys are so good and then when i tour i get a bunch of guys and go out and and just do my live shows but they're not necessarily one-to-one as far as the players go right yeah 
it'd be fun to do a band thing again at some point with, with, you know, the right people. But I also enjoy the intimacy of just a really small unit. I remember, um, I was such a huge fan of John Prine's and I saw him a number of times at the Edmonton Folk Festival. And, you know, I saw him with bands and I saw him on his own. And I I always thought that the band took away from him. And I just loved him standing on stage in front of 10,000 people with a guitar. And it it was so, it was so powerful and so intimate. And uh, sometimes it, for me, it works better. Yeah, I mean that's a special that's a special case. Oh yes. So it's sort of like a Neil Young who can go out in front of ten or twenty thousand people. Like it's not very many people can do that. You have to have the big personality and the musical sensibility and the intensity. That... Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But when it works, it really works. Yeah, no doubt. I was going to ask you about you know being female. Obviously, is is a factor, and I always wonder with with the female artists. You know how how is your experience? you know, how was it and is it being a woman in the business, like both in terms of your business um, situation and the personal situation? Do you think it's different being a, a woman in the business and how, how did that affect you? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can't say that I've ever felt like it was an issue or anything like that. I always made a point of um, I wanted to be treated like a musician and. Um, I always got that respect. And I think all the musicians that I worked with, we were just all on the same level. There was never any, it was never strange or, uh, I don't, I don't feel like that's ever been a, an issue for me. I, and I don't know why. Have you talked to other women who have had, who, who felt differently? Well, certainly, you know, um, women who have, uh, it depends on your looks and your age and of course, you know, who's, who's sleeping with who and, and who's after who and who feels uncomfortable <laughs> around who, you know, th- all those things. I mean, those things factor oh. in. in band. I've been in. <laughs> well, I, that would be guys too, not just women. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. But no, I uh, see for most and for, you know, for most of my life I was with somebody too. So it wasn't, uh, I yeah. wasn't out there living a wild life. You know, maybe it would have been different if I was single or something, but. I suppose. Uh, or being exploited, being exploited, I guess. But then lots of guys I've talked to have been exploited as well. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I, yeah, I don't think that's gender specific. I mean, I certainly there was an ageism thing because I mean, even, you know, when you know when CBS, I think at 25 I was considered a mature artist, and I think what? Yeah. So I'd say that it was more about ageism than than anything else. But don't you find that the biz- the business is more forgiving towards men as they get older than they are towards women as they get older? Well, I think generally the world is more forgiving towards men, yeah, <laughs> not just well, the business and aging. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's. Uh, absolutely true you know and uh yeah. i appreciate that just i just wanted to ask you about that because i i haven't actually asked that question to anybody before but i just thought you'd be a good person to ask that too just to, just to get your take on it because uh sometimes that is a factor and i suppose in, in in the country music and it's more wholesome i suppose a more wholesome side of the business if you want to look at it that way but yeah, but now that you've mentioned it, I think you're right though in that women are judged more harshly for their looks, and you know, yeah. uh, 
young and old, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. y- you know, whereas I, I think guys get away with more. <laughs> well, and I mean, once you reach a certain point in life, you're mature and you're, you know, it's funny because there was a, years ago, there was a book. I don't know if you've ever read it, if you ever read it, but it was a woman who wanted to, she dressed up like a man and she wanted to know what it felt like to be a man in the world. So she dressed up like a man and went out in the world and then she wrote a book about it. I vaguely remember that. And said that. um, Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And it was really eye-opening because she said, I I was respected more. I just expected to be respected. And I was, and I was treated with the respect that a man would garner without asking for it, just expecting it. And then she transferred that into being a woman. And and, Right. I remember when that book came out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, let me take a quick break and then we'll come back and do our last segment. I want to ask you about lunch at Allen's. Is that okay? Okay. Yep. Okay. We're talking to Cindy Church. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, do you want to hear about new episodes before they go live? Then join the Liner Notes VIP community. You'll be able to listen to the weekly podcast before the general public. Plus, the episodes have no ads, breaks, or interruptions of any kind. You'll also hear exclusive bonus episodes and be the first to know about upcoming guests. To check out the details and become a member, go to linernotes.ca. Now, let's get back to our special guest. All right, we're back. We're talking to Cindy Church about her experiences, many and varied experiences, I must say. Pretty impressive stuff and worked with lots of different people. And then, of course, this Lunch at Allen's thing came about. And uh, um, when I talked, I've talked to all the other members of Lunch at Allen's. I interviewed Mark Jordan, of course, and Ian Thomas, and then Murray McLaughlin. And uh, Ian Thomas said that it was Murray that kind of put the whole thing and suggested that it happened and called him up and said, hey, you know, you got to come out and, and sing with me. Is that accurate or is he? That is 100% accurate. Uh, Murray at the time was offered, I think through his age, he was working with an agent at that point. And at that time, so this would have been in 2002. And a lot of agents are putting together these songwriter packages and, and, and touring them. And so his agent asked Murray if he'd do one. And he said, well, who would I have to do it with? And they said, well, anybody you want. So uh, he was friends with Ian and and Mark. And then I think the agent may have mentioned that it might be a good idea to have a female component. And I think originally they approached Shirley Eichhardt, which would have made perfect sense um, with her songs and her career. But she didn't want to go on the road anymore. Okay. And... um, and then I ran into, even though Murray and I didn't, we'd known each other for years and years and years, and I'd done his radio show a few times and whatnot, but it was actually Ian who I, I ran into uh, at one point, and, and uh, he went back and said, I just ran into Cindy Church. She'd be perfect. And yeah. uh, that's, that's how I got in, into it, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering about, I was going to ask you about that. And again, it was just going to be a one-off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, interesting. I was going to ask you about that because I came to your show. I saw you in Chilliwack just a few weeks ago and, and it, and it works. I mean, you're doing the harmonies and you and some nice stuff and like you really add something that they wouldn't have otherwise had. So that was, that was nice. And mm-hmm. I think Mark fell asleep at one point there. So <laughs> I think they joked about it. <laughs> <laughs> he always looks, he looks like he falls asleep. He's so funny. Oh, he is hilarious. Yeah. No, I've never actually seen him fall asleep, but he often looks like he is. Well, I think what Ian Ian made a joke about him being the most medicated person in the band or something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah which he's not. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. They are yeah. hilarious. Oh yeah, it was uh, lots of funny stories and stuff. So yeah, I was going to ask you how that came about because in then another video I saw you had a bass player and and I think a percussionist or something as well. But it was just the four of you when I saw you. Yeah, and mm -hmm. we always travel this way. It's yeah. it's, it's a self contained unit. And if the, if we're doing something special, we might hire a rhythm section, but not very often. Yeah. And then it kind of looked to me as like Murray is kind of the de facto sort of band leader. He was kind of the guy that organizes things. He played the piano and then he kind of emceed. I think he spoke more than anybody else, I think. Um, well, it's not like anyone is a leader. Uh, I think it's just people's personalities. You know, um, I'm not a big storyteller like, like they are. And so... I, I yeah. often don't have a lot to say. I, I, I add more with quips and whatnot. But, um, you know, Murray likes to set up his songs with stories, and, and, and Ian does as well. I think it's just more their personalities, but it's, it's all pretty, pretty even, you know. Yeah. And uh, there's no leader. Yeah, everyone was well represented, no doubt about it. And, of course, yeah. with the catalogs that everybody has, I mean, Mark Jordan was – really i mean for being so understated pretty impressive guy yeah like he's done a lot of stuff and ian's catalog speaks for itself i mean yeah and murray yeah, you know. yeah absolutely. and uh no it's wonderful it's another one of those groups that you know it shouldn't work but it does yeah no good and so you just finished the one tour have you got some other stuff coming up or is there some stuff in the offing well by the time we got to we had already done a tour of the maritimes when we went to BC. So we were basically on the road for a month. Okay. And uh, we will get together in June. We're going to be in Ontario in June, and we have 18 shows there in June. Okay. And then nice. I would imagine that we would go out west in the fall, I would think. We'd be due to you know do Alberta, Saskatchewan, I would think, in the fall. But yeah, that hasn't been said yet, but we're definitely doing Ontario in June. So that'll be great. Okay. Yeah. And then I listened to the albums. I, I, I'm going to obviously when I interviewed everybody else, I went through the catalog too. The, the original Lunch at Allen's in 2003 and Catch the Moon, and then you did more Lunch at Allen's and lots of great songs. Everybody's well represented, and you sing lead on. Um, I don't know if did you split them up exactly evenly? I didn't count. Yeah, we would. Yeah. yeah. I think so. So you're well, you're well represented, and then there's some songs where you sing. Uh, um, well, like looks like love. Your that's your lead voice, and then Murray. It sounds like Murray singing the harmony in that one. Gosh, I'd have to go back. Oh, I think everyone sings on that because I definitely he's got such a distinct voice. You can hear it right away when he's he in does. What kind of love. It, he sings that one, and I think you do the harmony on that. I love that song. That song. That's a song I wish we'd start doing again. Yeah, yeah, and then when I listen to. Uh, that's how I see my life. That's another piano ballad, but it's almost theatrical. Like I, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if Cindy has a theater background because it's because you also can can go into that musical theater kind of voice almost. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no background in that. But uh, I, I love that song. Yeah, and it's uh, again really really precise and pure. That's what I what I noticed about your voice. So, and then you, on your website, you have Perfect World, which is off the first album, but that represents everybody really well as as well. It's cool. I, I was wondering why you picked that one, but I listened to it and it, it's good. It's a good song. It represents everyone. Yeah, it is. 
So, and then where did you record that? Was that in Toronto? The, the witch. Perfect World? The, the first album, Perfect World. <sighs> yeah. Yes, it would have been in Toronto. I just can't think where. Oh, my God. I'm so bad for remembering. But, yes, it would have been Toronto. I just can't remember which studio we did it in. <laughs> Racking your brain here today. I'd, I'd, need, I'd need these albums in front of me to look yeah. at. Yeah, no, fair enough. I know it is. It's funny because when you talk to people, and I, I asked Mark a couple of questions, and he's like, you know, he's done so much over the last 40 to 45 years that a lot of it becomes a bit of a blur. You yeah. Know, you're like, okay, we went here, we did that, we were touring, we came back, you know. So, uh, no, interesting. And then uh, just a, a few general questions I had for you about, you know, for example, did you ever consider breaking in the United States? Did you go down to the US? Did you ever sort of try to make a foray into that market? No, no, I never did. I, um, I went to Nashville a few times looking for material, um, but yeah. no, I, you know, I, I think part of me was I just I wasn't um, that driven, um, like, uh, you know what I mean? I just yeah. I, you have to have a lot of drive to want to do stuff like that, and you know, I just didn't. Well, yeah, I mean. You- you don't you don't like to use the expression maybe sell your soul but you have to pay a huge price yeah if you're going to do that lifestyle right I mean yeah you know. it, it would have to be all about that and I don't think I was ever really prepared yeah. to do it have my life be all about that I had other interests too yeah so but it's been a wonderful life and you know and continues to be what do you do outside of music uh well I do I paint a bit and uh, oh, no. now now that I'm back. Uh, in the Maritimes because rug hooking is a big traditional thing here and I've always wanted to do it and I've just become obsessed with rug hooking. Oh, nice. And um, so just a lot of, you know, creative stuff like that. Yeah. And, and um, you know, just having a, a nice life here on this beautiful North Shore yeah. in Nova Scotia. I, I just couldn't be happier. Oh, nice. And so looking back on your career and the choices that you made and stuff, is there anything that you would change? Like if you could go back and do it again, like your, maybe your managers, your bandmates or songs is anything you would change? I don't think I would change anything because I just don't think that way. Like what's the point? Um, and everything, you know, has brought me here to this place. And, you know, I mean, I guess sometimes I would listen to a record and go, Oh, you know, I'd, I'd redo that song or whatever, but I don't no. spend much time thinking about that. Well, I guess life is a series of forks in the road where you make a decision, right? Like like some people went down to the States. They said, I'm going to try to make it. I'm going to the U.S. You know, and other people say, well, I wish I had. If, and, and someone like you, like me, I, I'm not going to give my life over to that. So that no. was a fork in the road and you sort of chose one over the other. Yeah, I was just completely happy. Just being here and, and touring this country yeah. and and playing with all the different people I, I got to play with. And that, that was enough for me. Yeah, it was enough. And it's still enough. I love being home and I love being out playing music, but I, I like the balance of both. I always have because I'm a bit of a homebody as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of like that too. A lot of people have given their lives away to, to a dream that they thought they were chasing and ended up... Uh, not happy about it. I asked one person if it was worth it and, and he said, no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that, and, and that's gotta be hard. Yeah. 
you know, to admit that to yourself. Now, what what do you play, Dan? Well, I play guitar and sing, and I and I uh, are you a guitar player? Yeah, yeah. I've made a living for forty years doing it, but um, you know, I didn't like touring. I came back to Vancouver in the late eighties, and I said, I don't whatever it takes. I'm going to make a living around here. I'll do little jumps in and out. You know, we do fly in dates and stuff, but I don't tour. And I just wanted to raise my kids and have my family yeah. and 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 be content with my life. And I would have been miserable if I was on the road constantly. Like some people, some people love it. I just didn't. And I just was at the lowest I've ever been in my life. You know, so. I totally get that. Totally get that. Well, you, then you've, you've been very fortunate to be able to do, to do both. Yes. And that was my goal. I thought I'm going to figure this out. So I, I have to play music. I just can't live my life. If I can't play music, I wouldn't be content or satisfied. So I just figured out a way to do it. And, and similar to what you said, like I had no desire to move to LA or move to Nashville. There's no pot of gold there anyways. For some people there are, there is, but for most people there's not. No. Yeah. You're living in rarefied air if that happens. Yeah. That's no doubt about that. Yeah. So, well, no, I appreciate you sharing that because uh, it's about life too, right? Music is part of life, but it's not life itself. And and I know a lot of people got caught up in the partying part, part of it or the rock star part of it or the chasing the dream that never came to fruition yeah. part of it, right? And wanting to be a star, wanting to be a star. Yeah. I, I just never, I, I just, it never mattered to me. I, you know, yeah. I just wanted to make music and sing music and play music and yeah. You know, and well, hope I, to get better gigs, <laughs> which I did. <laughs> well, everybody, an agent said to me years ago, a guy that had booked many, many big acts, he said, you know what? Everybody's in the same boat. They're all looking for gigs. Even if you've had 10 hit yeah. records, you're still looking for gigs. Okay. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Very you know, true. Because he deals with them and he, he's trying to find them gigs, right? <laughs> So, yeah. So, so what's on your yeah. bucket list? What do you got left to do? What, what, what's your plan for, uh, for the rest of your life? What are you going to do? Oh God, that's a big question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me see. I don't know. I just take it one step at a time, Dan. Um, yeah. for now, I mean, I never thought I would ever move back to the Maritimes. I, I, I was never one of those Maritimers who couldn't wait to get home. I thought, Never in a million years would I ever go back. Hmm. And then through it happened, and I could not be happier. Nice. I just love where I live. So I work in a little arts and craft shop here when I'm not out on the road. Yeah. I'm make, making rugs. I'm, I'm nice. being commissioned. So I don't look too far ahead. Um, I'd still love to... I'd still love to go to Ireland and Scotland. That's that's really the only thing that I really want to do. Nice. And maybe at some point I will yeah. in the not too distant future. But I just take the days as they come. Well, it sounds like you're one of those people who's pretty content, you know, contentment being defined as being happy with what you already have. Yeah. And if, if this is as good as it gets, it's good. And that's that's the way I look at life. If this is as good as it gets, I'm good. Yeah, exactly. Me too. And are you doing any more, are you going to do any more of your own albums? Are you going to do more Lunch at Allen's stuff? Are you going to do more of the quartet or any of that stuff? I don't think, I'm pretty sure that the, the double album that quartet did for our 20th was our final recording. Um, I don't okay. know. Lunch at Allen's, I don't know. If we're going to keep touring, we, we might. Um, uh I don't know if I'll ever do another album, but then never say never. Something could happen where I feel like I want to. And 
Um, nothing right now, but you never know. Well, you're still engaged in life and you're still doing your thing. And I guess I saw you, it would have been just, just a few weeks ago. It was in Chilliwack just a few weeks ago. So you guys were out doing your thing and I was happy to see that. And I'm glad I was there. So. Oh, well, I'm glad you were there too. Well, good. Well, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk with me today and for sharing some of your stuff. And uh, I went through your stuff and I, I tried to piece it all together. There wasn't an actual dossier. So I think I, I messed up a couple <laughs> spots, but uh, I, I... No, you did very well, I have to say. <laughs> I appreciate that. I was trying to connect the dots the best. You, you were only confused about the things that were confusing. <laughs> no, you did a great job. Oh, yeah. good. Many thanks to Cindy Church for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from her long and varied career in the music business. More information is available at cindychurch.com. Excellent website, very well laid out, lots of information there. And luncheonallens.ca is also active, and Quartet is also active as well. So there's lots of stuff out there. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. And you can also become a member if you'd like notifications and other inside information and perks. We'd love to have you on board. And we invite you to listen to Dusty Discs Radio, where you'll hear the Canadian artists you're hearing on this show. So until next time, I'm Dan Harris.